Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. In our movie today, this is a kind of a uh, an exception to my rule. I generally have a rule on Staff Picks that I want a movie to be 10 years old before I talk about it. Uh, today, our movie is only three years old. And I only make exceptions if I see a movie, and it's generally like a little indie movie or a smaller movie, and it's not going to get a lot of attention, and it just strikes me in some way that this is something special that people should know about. And that is indeed our movie today. We are reviewing the 2016 movie called The Founder, which is a alternate telling of the history of the McDonald's Corporation, a very fun movie, one of these movies that I personally watched and I thought about it afterwards for like a week. And when you watch a movie and you think about it and it gets in your head, then I know I want to talk about it one day on a podcast. And that is definitely this one. It is a story of ethics and business and good guys and bad guys and shades of gray. And it's a very fascinating story of a, again, a, a restaurant I'm sure you have been to, according to the movie. It feeds 1% of the world's population every day. So McDonald's is one of those things that everyone knows. And my guest today... Uh, he is all the way from Australia, bringing one of my international guests onto Staff Picks. He is a journalist, and he tells me he's a cowboy slash troublemaking slash muckraking journalist. So I'm very excited to have him, a bit of a troublemaker, which is perfect for this movie because this movie is a bit of a hit piece against McDonald's. So welcome to the show to talk about the founder, Rowan Evans. Hello, Mario. How you doing? I am doing good. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing wonderfully. Um, I thought it was like it's actually really interesting. You're just talking about how like the movie sort of sticks with you, um, and I, sh I probably should mention from the get go. I watched this movie while I was flying to my honeymoon, um, so like that movie just stuck with me, and it's probably the thing that I remember the most from my honeymoon, which is uh, just like a really good, um, just I guess the benchmark of honeymoon movies, really. <laughs> Have you informed your wife of that fact? Yeah, I did. She was really not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got here, because I know you're the one who kind of reached out to me about the founder. You said you just love this movie and you had volunteered for it very early. So why this movie? Why does it stick with you? So I guess like the main thing to keep like to think about is that like when I first saw the, the poster for the film, which was like the first time I encountered it, it's just like I genuinely just felt like this intense dysphoria. Like how is McDonald's of all places making like a what looks to be just like an Oscar bait film <laughs> uh, and like going into it, like not having a super big back knowledge of, of what the film, like what the actual backstory of McDonald's is. You like almost expect to go into this film just seeing Ray Kroc, like, dancing with Grimace and Ronald McDonald in some kind of weird action, like, dream sequence. Um, so that was, I think, the first thing that drew me to the film. And then when you actually watch the film, it is actually just this insane hit piece uh, on the founder of McDonald's. Uh, and it just, like, it really, really makes you, like, just enjoy it as a, I guess, a socialist at heart and, like, wanting to see the, the world burn, I guess. Um, it's, like, it's really good. So, so you're just a troublemaker. That's basically what you, you enjoyed this movie. The uh, the uh, what would be again the hit piece niche of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just beautiful, and it, like as well because you're watching it on like a plane. You're watching it alongside like three other movies, at, like in in a long haul flight. So I watched this film alongside um, the Darkest Hour, which was like this big great piece about Churchill, and then um, like the Mark Felt film about like Deep Throat. 
and then also the post which is like building up tom hanks as this amazing journalist etc and then you just get like this piece which is just like fuck you to ray Kroc. <laughs> <laughs> the the fuck you to Ray Kroc is how they should advertise it on the poster. Although I will argue like that you think it's a hit piece and it really kind of is. But as you watch it and the more I think about this movie, I really am kind of impressed by how nuanced it is. Like it really yeah. does take down Ray Kroc. But at the same time, you could make the argument that he really doesn't do anything wrong and that he is actually a hero in his own way for what he provides to the world. I'm, what do you think about that? Uh, there's a couple of things that I think are like really interesting in the way that you're positioned to like to like Ray Kroc, but it's things like you you side with him on the issue of like whether Coca-Cola ads should be on on billboards and whether like um, uh, what's the other or whether there should be like diversity in the menu mm -hmm. uh, and. The whole film makes you think, oh, yeah, yeah, like this guy is like on the money. Like this is a really great thing. And then you realize like, actually, I don't actually mind eating like chicken wings every now and then. So like, why do, why do I why do I back this man? Clearly, he's the actual villain. Right. Uh, but you don't sort of notice that until like the second watch, I think. Yeah, it's, it's like I said at the start, this is a movie personally that I just thought about a lot afterwards. And in the last maybe five, six, seven years, I can only count on like one hand the number of movies that I saw and they just lodged in my brain and I thought about them afterwards. And one is this one for sure. One is the uh, Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right, that one yeah. really got in my head. And the one that I the other one that I've done on staff picks was Brigsby Bear. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't seen that one. That is a crazy movie that lodges in your head. But those three just are so interesting. I got to talk about my history with this movie because I have a really fascinating history here. Okay, go for okay, it. Okay, so I live in Southern California, and I live about 40 minutes away from San Bernardino where the original McDonald's was located. And we'll talk about that in the movie for people who, don't, who haven't seen this. That's the whole point of the movie, the number of the original McDonald's was in California. And I've been out there many times. And right on the site where the original McDonald's was, there is a museum these days. It's the, called the McDonald's History Museum or something. Uh -huh, that's pretty cool. What's funny is the McDonald's Corporation hates that museum. They, <laughs> they disavow that museum. They want no part of it. They do not consider that to be part of McDonald's history. But I'm friends with the guy who runs the museum. So I go out there. Yeah, I'm like an amateur fast food historian. I just love the history of American fast food. I think it's so interesting. So I go out there and I talk to this guy all the time. And like I knew about this movie and I knew the history of this movie for years before it ever came out. Because I'm like, he's like, he's like, they don't like me. They hate my museum. It's like the entire corporation against me. So like he's like, one day, you know, there's going to be a movie. There's supposed to be this book and this movie coming out about the history of McDonald's. And McDonald's hates it. Like it's a hit piece. It takes it. It uh, shatters every illusion that Ray Kroc was this god that invented McDonald's. And he's like, one day they will tell my story. So I knew about this movie for years before it came out because I know this history. That's so cool. Yeah. I, like going into it, you feel as a it is almost like well, without that back knowledge you almost feel as though you're about to watch something that is funded by mcdonald's and that it's like this weird um you know marketing campaign but yeah it's just exactly the opposite it's yeah. against but again it's against mcdonald's but as the movie goes on there are very lots of gradients of black and white and who's right and who's wrong in this movie that's what really made me think about it yeah for sure yeah it's all it's it's incredibly poetic and like filmographic i think as well yeah it's just really Overall, it's just really well done. And again, even if you don't care about McDonald's, this is a movie I yeah. think you will find fascinating because, A, it's about business, how business works in the world, how ethics works. And again, just 
McDonald's was McDonald's a good thing or a bad thing like it's very you know trendy to say it's like the downfall of all you know culinary history in America the McDonald's is the worst thing ever and it makes people fat but like it provided a lot of jobs and it provided a whole car culture in the US so it's it's really interesting if you whether you think it was a good or a bad thing yeah true so uh, in Australia uh, they call it Maccas right correct yeah Go down to Macca's. You do a Macca's run every now and then. Usually, it's um, it's typical when you first get your driver's license to do a Macca's run with your mates. So you you get like three or four mates in the car, drive down to Macca's, go through the drive-through, and uh, you know buy your ice creams and whatever, and, and head back home. That's a rite of passage. Now, is that real ice cream or powdered ice cream? Ah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, apparently, it's got bacon in it for some reason. Like they've got some kind of pig oil in the ice cream. People always tell me it's not vegetarian. <laughs> Now, are are Maccas all over Australia? Like in the U.S., there's a McDonald's every mile. They're just all over the place. Is it like that in Australia too? Uh, yeah, yeah, all everywhere. There's this um small town called Yass uh, in New South Wales, which uh, is famous for being like all over the world. Uh, it's like it, it's penetrated meme culture, I think, because they put out a billboard uh campaign just covering every single mcdonald's in the country so when you're driving down the highway they'll have a big m and then the name of like the next place that has a mcdonald's so obviously you've got this big m and then the word yas y-a-s-s so it it made it into meme culture because it spells out the word my ass i don't think anybody really noticed (laughs) i didn't know where we were going with that you you threw me off yeah (laughs) i thought we were going like yas queen or something like that but no you went my ass a bit of both yeah Okay, so yeah, let's uh, let's delve into this. This is a really fascinating movie, and again, it's somewhat of a hit piece, but somewhat not. It's not entirely critical of Ray Kroc, although one could argue because, like, are you a Michael Keaton fan? Do you know my other Michael Keaton movies? Uh, I've seen the Birdman one, but I haven't seen a lot of stuff. Yeah, Michael Keaton was one of my favorite actors in the 80s. In fact, it's really interesting if you're, if you're younger, if you wouldn't know this. But, like, at the time, he and Tom Hanks were always, like, fighting for the same roles and back in the 80s. And I would make the argument that Michael Keaton was the bigger star. Tom Hanks got the stuff that Michael Keaton turned down. Right. I have a feeling Tom Hanks – wasn't Tom Hanks looked at for this film as well? I, it would not surprise me because he and Michael Keaton have been doing that for years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, Michael Keaton, yeah, it was, like, a big deal in the 80s, then he had a huge comeback, and this was kind of in the middle of his comeback where people were reminded, hey, this guy was actually really good. Yeah. It's, yeah, he's really great. That's the thing with, like, Ray Kroc is not presented that admirably in the movie, but because he's played by Michael Keaton, who's so, so charismatic, you kind of root for the guy. That's what makes it really fascinating. So true, yeah. It's, 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 it, yeah, it's, it's incredible how much, like, as I've said, like, it, it just does position you to, like, sort of take positions that are very uncommon in films. Okay, yeah, we'll get to this in a second, especially towards the end of the film. The end of the film, they really start turning the screws where you're like, I'm not entirely sure who the good guy was here, to be honest. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly that. All right, so let's delve into this, the the hit piece that takes down the McDonald's Corporation, although it really kind of doesn't, but I know the McDonald's Corporation hates this movie. And I know out in San Bernardino, they have the founder posters and autograph stuff all over that museum because it's like the one time that somebody has told the story of the McDonald brothers. That's really cool. I'm glad that they're sticking it to the man like that. <laughs> yes. Although I will advise people, if you ever visit San Bernardino, you may not want to go to that museum because it's in the shittiest part of town you will ever see. So <laughs> be very careful. 
Is there a McDonald's nearby at least? There is one fairly far away, not next to it, but like I think McDonald's is even scared to go that part that part of town. Fair. It must be a shit part of town then. Yes. When McDonald's is turning down the free poverty money, then they then you know it's a bad place. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All right, so one more thing before we start. I just want to say, for people who may not know this, that McDonald's was a very highly regarded and well-respected company and restaurant up and through, you know, a good part of my childhood. Like, it would, right. it would yeah. be a big deal if you were in the 70s. Like, if your class goes to McDonald's or they bring McDonald's to class, that's like an exciting upscale thing almost for you. Oh, it used to be really awesome when we would go to um, McDonald's at the class, but then they'd always like pull the dirty on you where you don't get Coke, you get orange juice. Oh. It was so bad. It was, ugh. That's terrible. That made me angry. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, McDonald's has really, they really had high quality control standards up and through maybe the 70s or 80s. I'm not sure, but they've really gone downhill. It's a significantly different experience now than it would have been when I was a kid. So that's the one thing I want to point out why people in this movie are so fawning towards McDonald's back in the 50s and 60s. Right. It really was like that. So that that's not out of character. Maybe I'm too young to make this call, but did it sort of also go downhill because of uh, Super Size Me? Um, I would guess even before that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's it's. We'll, we'll talk about that as we go along here. But yeah, Super Size Me was a huge hit for people who don't know. That was a documentary by a guy named Morgan Spurlock who just ate McDonald's for a month and he had so many health problems. And it was the, the biggest hit piece ever on McDonald's. Way bigger than this one, to be honest. Just explain like the kind of food that you can get at McDonald's for the people at home as well. Oh, the kind of food? Well, hamburgers. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, yeah. okay, thanks. I mean, yeah, there's. Back in the 50s, it was just hamburgers, fries, and Cokes, and then they've expanded over the years. And I remember in the in the, in the 80s, it was a big deal because they started adding chicken. Like, oh, my God, mm. chicken at McDonald's. That was a big deal, chicken nuggets. Yeah, they added the fish at some point? Yeah, the filet of fish is a concession to the Catholics because Catholics cannot eat meat on Friday, so they made it made a fish sandwich. But, yeah, it's, it's they've really – their menu now, there's dozens and dozens of things, salads and all sorts of crazy things on there that they wouldn't have had in the back in the 70s and stuff. Do they sell um, Apple Bites at, at Macca's in, in the U.S.? I'm guessing that would be the equivalent of our Apple Pies. No, as in like um, they literally sell slices of Apple in Happy Meals now. Oh, they do. And I think a lot of that is because of Super Size Me. I think Super yeah, Size yeah. Me forced them to give healthy options to kids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <Pretty paid. laughs> All right. All right. So, Let's jump into it. Yeah, here we go. The Founder, one of the most interesting ethical movies I've ever seen, just about business <laughs> ethics. And All right, so here we go. So, <laughs> so we start this movie in 1954, I believe, mm-hmm. and it's Michael Keaton, and he plays this traveling salesman named Ray Kroc. And what, what do you explain to people? What does Ray Kroc do for a living in 1954? Ray Kroc is selling milkshake machines and it's like milkshake machines that have like four different shakers on them. So you can like shake multiple milks at a time. Uh, and he is not doing too well for himself. You know what? That does actually bring up something. When I was in Australia, I had a milkshake and what you guys call milkshakes is different than what we call milkshakes in America. That actually shocked me. You should, what do you mean? What? When, when, when I had a milkshake in Australia, more often than not, it was just milk with flavoring in it. It was like what we, we would call chocolate milk. Yep. And the places I went, you had to order a thick shake, and that was what we would call a milkshake in America. Yeah, yeah, So the thick shake is like it has ice cream in it? Yeah, so a milkshake in Australia has no ice cream. Right, yeah. I, I have also experienced this uh, issue. Uh, it, 
I do not like it very much. I, I prefer to have a thick shake than a milkshake. Excellent thing. Thank you. Even even the Australian is bashing the Australian milkshake. Correct. <laughs> I think the difference, though, is that they actually put malt in the milkshake, whereas if you order a chocolate milk, it's just flavored. Yeah. I mean, that's the same here, but you, there's, you would just get the one with malt here. There's no equivalent right, to it. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, he Ray Kroc travels around the country and he sells this multi mixer, which is all true. This is based on reality. He drive around and he has this thing that makes five milkshakes at once. It's the state of the art. And we learn that he's struggling. He is perhaps not the most successful salesman ever. Yeah, like the film actually opens with like a close up shot of him giving a pitch that fails. Like that is the state in which we find Ray Kroc. Yes. Although he's not it's not a bad pitch. It's just nobody wants it. Correct. Yeah, he's yes. a good salesman. He just there's no demand for this, and he's lucky to sell one of these multi mixers, and he's just driving around the U.S. and this would have been very common back in the 50s in the U.S. These traveling salesmen just driving around and living in their car and living on the road, and he's just he's just got a crappy life. That just it just sucks. Yeah, I mean the film student in Milo is just like very much admiring the the way that they would frame him within the car. So like he would get out of the car, look at a map, uh, and then the camera would be watching him from behind the windscreen basically so it almost is uh pitching ray crock as a man that is entirely caged within his car Ooh, that's very nice i like that yeah there's mm. really yeah. cool cinematography shots and yeah it's just him driving around and every day making a pitch to sell this stupid milkshake mixer and doing the exact same speech and people just saying saying no they don't want it so this is his life every day and again if he doesn't sell these he doesn't eat and I should point out, Ray Kroc is not young here. He's, like, already middle-aged. Yeah, he's, like, 50, or probably, like, 40, 50. Yeah, he, Ray Kroc was not a overnight success. It took him many years to find something that worked for him. Yeah, 100%. And, like, I think the, the, the great, I think this points out the, the, the way that you're sort of positioned uh, in, in weird ways by this film is that, like, most of this film is, that the opening of the film is Ray Kroc expressing his distaste for everything about 50s culture that you usually see. Yeah, well, okay. That's very interesting because this would, for a younger audience, you wouldn't get this. But it was a very much a thing in the 50s that teenagers, A, suck, and B, mm. equals crime. If you have teenagers around, it means you have a juvenile delinquency element. So it's Ray Kroc driving around to these drive-ins in the 50s, and it's just, he hates everything about this drive-in experience. Like, there's the lines are too long. It takes too long to get your food. And there's these teenagers hanging out there. And again, teenagers meant crime. And that was very realistic at the time. Yeah. And I, but I think also that like that is kind of romanticized usually, right? Because you get like uh, Elvis Presley, for instance, well known to black have been associated with criminal behavior in terms of like just his cultural output. Uh, and yet like that is kind of romanticized in that people are like, oh, really love Jailhouse Rock, etc. But, uh, you know, the teens in this film are just not even romanticized it's just this is shit yeah well the elvis thing is interesting because it depends on who you ask because if you'd ask like the parents at the time they're like oh my god this guy's satan mm. so like it depends on if you ask people born after the 50s or before the 50s right that that is definitely true i think that like the romantic view is the one that has survived i think whereas like when you talk about a parent who like hated elvis uh -huh. it is like mocked, mocked nowadays <laughs> and this in this instant, is just like, oh, like this is a perfectly valid reasoning, right? Well, I would I would phrase it this way: that winners are the one that that write the history books, and Correct. all the people who would have written the books the other way died. <laughs> so young people wrote the books. Yeah, they they vanquished their parents. <laughs> exactly, young people will always win in the end. Remember that, old people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
So he's driving around, going to all these roadside diners, and the thing with the diners at the time, which is, is expressed very well in this movie, is that they were not just burger places back then, that there was almost no such thing as a burger place. They'd be giving you full-on meals of barbecue and, like, chili and chicken and tamales and stuff. So, like, it was not really... Burger culture had not started yet. McDonald's was basically going to start that. Yeah, and, like, that that kind of stuff actually doesn't sound super bad. Like, as, as somebody that is now living in the 21st century, I kind of wish I could just drive somewhere and get an actual meal uh, in my car. That would be great. Yeah, and this is where we come back to the question. Was McDonald's a good thing or a bad thing for America? Mm. <laughs> Big question. Because that's the thing. Like, you can go to a roadside stand in the 50s and get a full-on authentic barbecue meal which is a good deal but you probably have to wait about 40 minutes for them to make it and serve it to you in the car and that's what's frustrating yeah true and now you can just pay somebody like five dollars to like go down to the shop and buy it exactly you. yeah uber eats yeah uber eats and grubhub they take care of that correct so uh yeah ray Kroc is just driving around in this crappy drive-through car hop culture he hates it he's old he's got a wife at home he never sees her his life just sucks and Every night in his hotel room, he listens to these records. And this is based in reality. I know this is true because I know a little bit about Ray Kroc, about mm. motivational speaking, how to become a better seller. And what is the word? The, word, the key here is not talent and it's not genius. What is the word that he always reminds himself is the key? Persistence. Yes, persistence. Um, basically, just keep doing this over and over and eventually you will succeed. It doesn't even matter how good you are. Just keep doing it. Eventually, something will work. What I found interesting about this is like it's kind of a trope in video games. I'm not sure about other pop culture, but like this idea of this weird disembodied voice of somebody from the 1950s uh, explaining virtues in a certain way uh, and that person turning into a, like a villain. Are you familiar with that kind of trope? I, I don't I don't know video games as well. So explain it if, if for people who might not. Um, yeah. So like you'll have video games wherein there are there's some kind of social experiment going on where there is like uh, in Bioshock, for instance, it's like this under, underground city and in Portal, it's this, this uh, uh, it's like a science experiment sort of thing. And it's all been built by, by these 1950s kind of weird disembodied voices uh, that have recorded recordings and then they're like played out into like these into these areas. Uh, and the, the story usually tells about like the, the unraveling of that person. And it turns out that the, they're extolling certain virtues uh, that end up being like the downfall of their their civilization. Uh, I think that is quite an interesting trope to sort of appear in this film. So so the voices of the god, basically these long forgotten gods, are giving Ray Kroc the the instructions that will bring forth the downfall of society. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See, now it's funny. You read the Ray Kroc biography, and they would say, well, he was just a very good salesman. So I don't know if they get into the mm. trope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100%. So, yeah, so yeah. that's the key for Ray Kroc here. Persistence and determination, that they can beat anything. Genius will never win. Um, uh, talent will never win. Persistence plus determination is all powerful. And, boy, are we about to see that over the next hour. Correct. <laughs> okay, so Ray Kroc is just driving around the country, and he calls back to his home office saying, you know, are there any orders for my stupid multi-mixer? And his secretary says, well, there's some, uh, there's some restaurant out in California, San Bernardino. They ordered six. And he's like, six? Who needs six multi-mixers? Who, who the hell could make 30 milkshakes at one time? That's astounding. Nobody would do that. 
So Ray Kroc thinks it's a, a, what is it, a clerical error, and he calls them up. He's like, you didn't order six, right? And he talks to this guy, Dick McDonald, the founder of McDonald's, and Dick is like, yeah, that might be a problem. That's the wrong order. We actually need eight. And so Ray's like, oh, my God, who's making 40 milkshakes at a time? I got to go see this place. Correct. And it's like, uh, it's like, how soon can you get here rather than how soon can you cancel it? Yeah, it's uh, the, there's apparently this business doing gangbusters, crazy business out in California. And Ray Kroc, you know, the savvy businessman that he is, has to go see this place. So this is where we meet the original McDonald's restaurant, number one in San Bernardino. And uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about his his trip out to meet the, the McDonald's brothers. This is where Ray Kroc drives up to the first of the many uh, McDonald's restaurants in the film, uh, which I think is particularly interesting. Have you read much of the backstory of that, these buildings that they used? Uh, it was filmed in Georgia, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, basically what they did was they bought like a park or they rented a parking lot and built like this um, this building, which is just ultimately modular, right? So like you can take out as many of the walls and like re-put them, like put them back in again. Um, and it's built such that every single McDonald's restaurant that you see in the film is actually just the same building that they've <laughs> changed around a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is the first one that we see in the entire film. Uh, and is it, I'm, I can't remember if it's the first day or the second when um, Ray is introduced to the speedy system. Okay. That's the second. Yeah. We'll get, okay. Yeah. So okay. For people who know America, Rowan may not, may not know this, but yeah, he Ray is in St. Louis and he has to go to San Bernardino, California. So he takes the famous Route 66, which was the famous road in America at the time, and he goes to San Bernardino. And, and it's funny because, again, if you go to San Bernardino now, it is a shithole to be nice. It's it's basically an abandoned city. It's It was a big, thriving city up until about the 80s, and then all the industry left, and then all the people left, and then all the meth heads moved in. <laughs> that does make sense. So it is like an abandoned city. Like half of the houses and buildings are abandoned. It's the creepiest place. And they couldn't very well film there because that area looks nothing like it would have in the 50s, so they, they did it in Georgia instead. So that's why. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So he drives up to the number one McDonald's, and it's just this little takeout burger place with glass windows, and there's no car hops. People have to walk up to the counter to order their burgers. And Ray is like, I don't get this. What's, I don't, this, I've never it's seen like a very place. confused. Yeah, he's very confused. But there's a line, like, stretching down the block. And he's like, these people must be making so much money. He's trying to figure out what's going on. So he walks up, and he tries their food, and he likes it. He says it's good, right? I think somebody says the line moves really fast and then it sure enough does and then he gets it in like 30 seconds which is like a concerning amount of time if you're ordering at mcdonald's today <laughs> okay i'll we'll get to that in a second but the, yeah. that used to be the, the the selling point of mcdonald's they they changed that right yeah 100 yeah. yeah but uh and but but he's amazed because there's no car hops and the food comes fast and the food is good but most importantly and this is again critical to this movie there's no goddamn teenagers hanging out at this place so there's no criminal element. It's just families and little kids. And he's amazed. He's never seen one of these without teenagers surrounding it before. Yeah, it's family values, really. Yes. Although I'm amused. There's a scene where, like, they give him the burger in a little paper wrapper. And he's like, where do I eat it? And, like, he's never seen like, <laughs> Because drive-ins at the time would have given you trays and plates and silverware, like a full meal. He's never seen eating out of paper before. It astounds him. I think the only teenagers you see in this scene are like the ones actually working in the in the kitchen. That's right. The good, the good clean cut teenagers. 
Ah, right. Yes, of course. Yeah. As they should be, damn it. Exactly. That was what San Bernardino is known for clean-cut teenagers. Yeah. Clean-cut and made to work for the men, damn it. Yes. That's how you knew they were good. They were they were sucking it up and working for the man and doing what they were told. Working an honest job, as I did in my day. Exactly, yes. So, so he gets up there and he tries the food and he's like, he gets his burger, like he orders it, and it's ready before he even pays his money. And he's like, this can't be right. And they're like, no, it's real. This is this is how fast it comes here. And he tries it, and he's like, this is good. Like, I cannot believe this is actually good. So he has to figure out who has perfected the uh, fast food uh, market here. And he meets the brothers. These are Mac and Dick McDonald. Yes, yeah. And is it this scene that they they mentioned the diabetes thing, or is that the next scene? I mean, it's kind of mentioned in passing a couple times. Yeah, one of the brothers is what healthy, and one has health problems. Right. Yeah. So, and that is like uh, what I referred to in my notes as Chekhov's diabetes. <laughs> that's that's good. So yes, Chekhov's yeah. diabetes will make an appearance here, and then we'll have a payoff later. <laughs> so, so the two brothers, and these were real guys. They were two real. Humble, hardworking brothers that put together this amazing burger. They perfected the burger experience. And in the movie, they're played by two actors. Do you know these guys? Do you know Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch? Uh, I know them. Uh, not very well, though. I haven't actually watched any of like Nick Offerman's other stuff. Yeah, Nick Offerman, most people know him from Parks and Rec. He plays uh, Ron, Swanson. Ron Swanson. Yeah. And the other guy, John Carroll Lynch, almost always plays a villain in movies. Uh, if you've seen the Zodiac movie about the Zodiac killer, he plays the creepy suspect in that. Okay. <laughs> There's lots of movies. He's in one I did called The Invitation, and he's also in Fargo where he plays Margie's husband. He's all over the place. Uh, ah, yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the two brothers, either they're so proud of their system that they've devised that they go and they give Ray Kroc the entire tour and give him all their secrets, which ends up not being a good idea in the long run. For sure. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I'm not sure if that's the case. Well, I'll explain why. Okay. Uh, well, explain the tour. So they give him a tour. Explain the inner workings of the first McDonald's to people. Yeah. So have you ever seen like one of these um, just like, you know, when you're like scrolling through Facebook and you just see like a how it's made sort of thing? That is how I would describe this scene. So it is basically just like one of these um, mind numbing um, uh, content films about like uh, just how something is made. So it's basically just like showing you the, the factory of uh, of mcdonald's as to how like you uh you fry the hamburger in a certain way then it goes onto the bun and then you squeeze uh this contraption that puts in the perfect amount of uh tomato sauce and uh pickles and onions uh and is there mustard as well i can't remember not at mcdonald's not back then though. oh wait no sorry i take that back there was in the movie there was mustard yes uh yeah and then uh and no lettuce i'm pretty sure they made a, a point of that uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, that's, that's done in, in five seconds. Yeah. And then they have the, the drinks as well. And the, uh, what's the, the chips, yeah, the fries are, are done. Yeah. This would be the speedy service. And this is what, Mc, yeah, what McDonald's would have been known for up until gosh, the sixties or seventies. I'm not sure, but this was their claim to fame that they could get a burger from grill to counter in 30 seconds. And not only that, but every single one was high quality. They had the highest of standards, and every single one was really good. And so it was this amazing system that they could crank out these burgers so fast and so cheaply. That's why they no other place could top them. And they're, the brothers are very proud of this because they've devised the system. And I think what the word is, uh, one of them says speed is the name of the game. 
And the other brother says, there's not a wasted motion. Like every single movement that every of the workers does is choreographed down to the second for the perfect timing of a burger. It's really, a, it's kind of fascinating here. Yeah. So you said that this is like a, a, a mistake that they shouldn't have done this. Um, I'm not saying it's a mistake. Well, okay. I will say I never saw the speedy service in action. And it's one of those things I wish I could have seen because it would have been really fascinating to see this. It's like, a, like you said, it's like a machine in there. It's like little pieces in a machine. Every little person has their thing. And this was the trademark of McDonald's. And like when I was a kid, you'd go to McDonald's and the food would already be made before you ordered it. Right. And my dad, like my dad would take us there and he loved it because it was so fast getting in and out of McDonald's. And then the other fast food chains would counter that by saying, we make it after you order it. So it's, it's cooked to order for you. And that became a badge of honor. And all of a sudden, what McDonald's was doing looked very passe and old-fashioned. Right. So McDonald's yeah. eventually switched away from that. And now they make it when you order it. And it's much slower. It's a much different experience than like it would have been. So I'm just saying I would have loved to see the speedy service in its prime because it was really cool, I bet. Yeah, I think that's the two differences uh, in the in the film for, that, that make it clear that you're watching a film that's based in the 50s is that, uh, A, it's made before you order it. And, B, uh, all the teenagers are smiling. <laughs> Because nowadays, uh, you know, you have buzzers going off like every 30 seconds telling you that you're like too late for, for this order. And like this like, this order is like two minutes behind what, what it was supposed to be. Yeah, it's totally different experience. And that's the thing. Like you if you don't like McDonald's now, this movie is still interesting to see what McDonald's was when it started. Because it was a whole different thing. Yeah, like absolutely. A, a burger yeah. factory, I think you would say. So we learn the history of the McDonald's brothers, that these guys came out from New Hampshire and moved out to California, tried to strike it rich. And McDonald's was like their, what, like their fifth venture or something? Yeah, something like that. I think, sorry, there's just one more thing I wanted to note. When they were um, mentioning the speedy system, I had to laugh because they mentioned that it's fully automated. <laughs> and yet the entire thing is like run by people. Uh, so it's like almost the exact opposite of what fully automated means today. <laughs> you know, words mean different things in the U.S. sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> so the McDonald's brothers came out and they tried to open a movie theater and like a hot dog joint and a barbecue stand. And eventually they did pretty well with their barbecue stand in San Bernardino. And again, if you go to the McDonald's museum, they have the menus from when they were a barbecue restaurant with McDonald's. It was like they had tamales and all sorts of crazy stuff in there. But this talks about how they eventually realized, you know, we did pretty well with selling this normal food. But like 85% of our sales come from burgers, fries, and drinks. So let's just do that. And so this whole little complicated section of the movie here at the start where they shut down their barbecue place. They focus just on burgers, fries, and drinks. And this is the scene that I think most people remember from this movie where they go out on the tennis court. And you see the McDonald's brothers perfecting their speedy system by drawing chalk all over the court where everybody's going to stand. Yeah, and it's all done in like an eagle eye view, so you can see it from top down. It's almost like everybody's on a floor plan. Yeah, it's really no. Now, did you like that scene? That's my personal favorite scene in the movie, just because I really, I just love the idea of the speedy service. Yeah, like as somebody who uh, like is a film student, uh, I think it is just yeah a, a top notch scene. Um, very mannerist, I would say. Yeah, it's really it's, that's that's the one standout. If you watch this movie, that's the scene you want to watch is them perfecting how every single person is going to stand, spin, twist, where the things are going to go, how you have two seconds to squirt this right here. It's a really again, it's really fascinating. And then you get the history of how McDonald's opened with the speedy system. And it was a flop at first because the public didn't know what to do. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I think what's interesting about this that it, you don't sort of notice it the first time you watch it, but on the second watch for me in particular, um, it became clear that this is actually the this is the hallmark on which they they think that they've made their name, and yet when Ray Kroc unravels it. Uh, at the end of the film, he reveals that it's actually just because, like, well, your name is McDonald's. Uh, (laughs) You could have done all this, and, like, it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, It's just that your name is McDonald's. And I think that is, like, just the absolute, like, nail in the heart of the Nick Offerman character, because he's, like, built his name on this and thinks that is the thing that has made him successful. Uh, It's just just really amazing. It's Chekhov's name. Yes, exactly, Chekhov's name. Chekhov's speedy system. Chekhov's clown. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Although I should point out, there's not a mention of Ronald McDonald at any point in this movie, so it just I wanted a little trivia note. I actually laughed out loud uh, realizing that there is like a lawyer in this film and that they play like a major part in this film, but Ronald McDonald does not. Yes. It's just like. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so McDonald opens, and the general public has no idea how to deal with this new type of restaurant where there's no car hop, and you can't place an order in your car. You have to walk up to a window and like, they don't give you silverware. Like they, they don't, they have no idea how to react to this. Now it's funny. McDonald's is not like this anymore. McDonald's nowadays is, you know, it's a restaurant. You sit in there, they have drive throughs but at the time it was this old style takeout. And what's funny is there still are a couple old style fast food chains that still look like this in America. The one that I think of in particular is In-N-Out Burger, which are you familiar with In-N-Out Burger at all? Uh, no, is that when you eat a burger and it goes in and out within 30 seconds? I mean, that's all burgers for the most part. And also Taco Bell. Taco Bell does that. But but In-N-Out Burger now looks like McDonald's did in the 50s, where you have to walk up to the counter um... and they only have three things on their menu. And it's like the, the national burger chain of, of California. That everyone, that's like when you think California, you think In-N-Out. But that's In-N-Out survives because it looks like McDonald's used to. Right. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, so eventually the public grasps what the McDonald brothers are doing and this McDonald's becomes a hit. It's like the most profitable burger chain ever in history because of this speedy service, which nobody else can do. And Ray Kroc loves it as the, you know, the salesman in him loves this thing. And he's like, I have to be a part of this. And right from the start, he's like, this is the future of fast food. I will be involved in this somehow. And stupidly, the McDonald brothers let him in. As they say, we let a wolf into the hen house. Yes. <laughs> so what, what, is, what do they do? He, he comes up with a suggestion. What's his suggestion to them? So he comes into the suggestion of uh, do it for your country. And I think this is another one of those scenes that has like really amazing uh, filmography because uh, he walks in and uh, announces uh, he, what does he do? He drives through like uh, the city and sees all the churches and the American flags. And they do this really weird montage of just like all of them. Uh, and then he walks in and announces that they should do it for their country. Well, yeah, first he says franchise. That's the word. He's like, franchise, take this and clone yeah. it, which people don't know that word. It means clone this everywhere else in the country. And they're like, no. And they're like, he's like, you have to do it for your country, as Rowan said. Yeah, yeah. And I think the great thing about this scene is that he's standing right between two uh, windows that have like light coming in, but there's like blinds on them. So you, you get the the look of like this this angel uh, angel wings coming off of uh, Ray Kroc <laughs> uh, while he's like extolling the virtues of doing this for your country and, and thinking about churches and American flags and how like the, all this religious symbolism that comes with. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the McDonald's brothers have tried franchising before because they know they have a great idea, but they're not super savvy businessmen, and they're not especially aggressive. They just know they have this great idea, and they've tried before, and they ran into the problem 
What is the problem they've run into in the past when they tried to franchise? They don't have enough control over people, I think. It's, they all wanted to uh, you know, have all this variety and so forth, and it's like uh, abandoning the speedy system, basically. Yeah, exactly. The name of the game for the McDonald's brothers is quality control. We have our names on this restaurant. This represents us. It must be the highest standards, the highest quality. Everything must follow the system exactly. And what happens when you franchise is the other people don't follow your rules, and you don't have any power to stop them. And so they're very suspicious, but Ray Kroc eventually wins them over. And this is the defining debate in this movie. What is better, to have many versions of the same thing all over the place, or just have a smaller amount of them that are guaranteed to be the highest of quality? And this is where you're going to run into the ethical debate, where Mac McDonald says it's better to have one great restaurant than 50 mediocre ones. And Ray Kroc says, no, it's better to have 50 mediocre ones than one great one. And this is where it becomes really interesting, the ethical dilemma here. Yeah, and I think at this at this point, Ray Kroc is still uh, imagining almost that it's going to be 50 great ones as well. Like, it won't even be mediocre. He goes into it with a great, the best of intentions, I do believe. Mm. I think, And just before this scene, he's looked at the Golden Arches as well, right? Yes, yeah, they... <laughs> We've seen this proposed. McDonald's doesn't have the famous M yet. Right now, it's just a proposal that one of the brothers has thought up called the Golden Arches, which just, he likes it because it will pop. It's a neat little display. And Ray Kroc fixates on those. He goes, those are going to be your symbol. We want those all over America, just like churches and courthouses. This will be the symbol of every town in America. Yeah, 100%. I think that is ultimately what happens, right? I was going to say, in the real world. yeah, he is not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think when, when, my, when my brothers were kids... Uh, they, we used to have like the, the dining room table was, uh, situated so that you could actually see, uh, the, the, the golden arches. Uh, and so my parents had to switch which side of the table uh, everyone sat on because, uh, my brothers would never eat their dinner. It was too distracting. McDonald's proved to be too much of a deterrent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every time they sat down to dinner, it'd be like, mom, can we get Maccas instead? Or like... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because this is for people, people who have not seen this movie. This is one of Ray Kroc's pitches. He's like, McDonald's can be the new American church feeding bodies and souls, but not just one day a week, but seven days a week. And the brothers are eventually seduced because Ray's like, you know, this you want these golden arches. I can put these golden arches everywhere in the country and they will know it's synonymous with you, Dick McDonald. And so Ray is a wonderful snake oil salesman, although, again, I think he personally has the best of intentions and it's going to go bad very quickly. But I think everyone's on the same page, at least at the start. Yeah, 100%. Everyone's on the same page, thinks that uh, is it, uh, they agree that like event, that they will have ultimate uh, say over what gets done and what does not get done. Yeah, the, the, McDonald's, yeah, the McDonald's brothers sign up a contract, and they're like, we've tried this before. Franchising does not work, but in this case, maybe it will. We'll try it again one last time because we love our idea. And so they're like, but we're going to do it. We're going to very strict legal contract, black and white. We have full say over every single thing you do, Mr. Croc. And he's like, yeah, sure. And so. Yeah. And this is where they really load up the Chekhov's diabetes, where they mentioned that, like, the last time they tried to franchise something, like, the, the guy had to go to hospital or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Chekhov's diabetes. Yeah. We'll make an appearance later. Chekhov's diabetes. Yeah. Okay. Oddly enough, not caused by eating at McDonald's. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the twist ending. That's proof that it's set in the fifties. <laughs> yes, we only only one guy had diabetes in the fifties. So. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> 
All right, so they sign the contract and everything's cool. And basically, from here on out, Ray Kroc is in charge of going out to the rest of the country and trying to get people, persuade people to sign up and, and start a McDonald's just like this one, that he's the right arm of the McDonald's brothers. And they control quality, but he's going out there and he's pitching people. So let's see, he, he goes to the Midwest because he's from Illinois. And this will become very important to the history of McDonald's that he starts in Illinois, he starts in his hometown, and he starts going around to all his buddies, and they all just laugh at him at first, right? Because they've seen him do this before? Yeah. I think this is one of those scenes that's set in a, uh, a classy restaurant, right? Yeah, he he goes to these, it's like a, a uh, what's a, a club, like a, a country club. His, all his rich country club buddies, he pitches them. Yeah, yeah. All right, is this... He goes with his wife, right? Yeah, his wife. And they have like the same beforehand? Yeah, his, his wife has done this before. She knows this doesn't work. Ray has been pitching his friends for years, and they go out, and, and they're all just laughing at him. They're like, no, Ray. Like, last time you tried to sell us, like, the the straw basket, the, the wave of the future. No, we're not going to do this this time. Yeah, I just want to set up the uh, the wife as well, right? Because, like, um, I told you, like, I've watched this film alongside a bunch of other biopics. Mm -hmm. It's just like... That every other biopic, the wife is just like this, uh, almost an afterthought, where they've written the whole script and they're like, oh, we may as well write in the wife as well, right? And the wife is just like the supportive character. Uh, but in this case, you get, you definitely get the sense that there's like a Chekhov's wife going on. Uh, <laughs> and that, <laughs> Chekhov has his hands all over the story. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you can always see that, like, okay, this is like not a very good relationship and it's probably going to end in a Chekhov's divorce, right? Um, but it's like offset by the fact that you're watching a biopic and biopics tend to like, you know, just make the, the wife sort of like happy with whatever happens to the, the main character. Well, I think in this one, she's kind of powerless. Like Ray Kroc is a snowball rolling down a hill and she's either going to be along for the ride or not. And she has seen him fail at this so many times. She is not invested at all. And as my wife points out, Ray Kroc is quite a bit of a dick in this movie in that he his wife supports him and she finally gets on board and mcdonald's hits it big and immediately he wants a divorce because now he's a big shot correct yes <laughs> so yeah ray Kroc's poor wife who i don't even remember her name to be honest the first one uh yeah i can't remember either is it ethel or is that the other one um joan is the second one joan Kroc was famous uh, ethel, so yeah. this first that one is like ethel. yeah chekhov's npc non-player character yeah well, she's actually quite, she's like, compared to a lot of other biopics, quite invested in the film, I think. She is. And that's Laura Dern, one of my favorite actresses, playing the the poor first Mrs. Croc, who is not going to see most of this action. Correct. But she's there. So so he's just pitching the stuff. And Ray Croc has invested his entire future that McDonald's is going to be a hit. In fact, what does he do? He mortgages his house? Yeah, I think that's, that's later in the film, right? Because that becomes like the catalyst for yeah. the divorce right yeah there's a lot of stuff here he's he's not going to tell his wife basically what he's doing yeah yeah there's a lot of great scenes with the wife as well because like uh, again just like cinematographically or film filmographically she's uh the scenes where she's like set in the back room and he's in the front room uh and she's like in the dark and he's in the in the light and stuff it's like it's, it's really great I do have to point one thing out here, and that's why, like I said, this movie, you think there's obvious good guys and bad guys, but it's not quite that simple, which is why I like it. Is that yeah. There's a whole stretch here where you start to feel bad for Ray Kroc, 
where he's had all this crap heaped on him his entire life. Nothing has ever worked. And there's scenes of him like praying, like, please be the one this time. Please be the one. And you can see him hustling. He's trying to get this to work. He talks to everybody he knows. He's throwing everything he can at this. And this has to be the one that's going to work because this will be his last chance. So you start to feel bad for him. That's what makes it really fascinating. So this is the first hustle, right, where he goes to the, uh, the country club with his wife uh, and all his rich friends. I think one of the best parts of this movie is that like there are probably more scenes set in classy restaurants than there are set in McDonald's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the irony that the McDonald's movie is always set in a fancy restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Croc is just pitching everybody he knows. Just invest a little money in this. Invest a little money. It's the greatest thing ever. And he finally gets one. What is it? In, in Des Plaines, Illinois. And I hope I pronounced that right for anybody from the Midwest. I might have screwed that up. The S may be silent. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm guessing it's Diplon. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I'm not from there. But he finally gets one restaurant, and this is going to be his make-or-break moment to see if McDonald's will fly in the rest of the country, which I know is hilarious to say now. But yeah. <laughs> so he's built an exact replica of the McDonald's Brothers restaurant out in Illinois, and he's, he's, he's on top of it. He's quality control. He's in charge of everything. But uh, the issue is that he wants to make a modification to the restaurant and right from the start this is going to be a problem because he wants to put a basement in there and what else a furnace yeah all because of the building codes right well it's because in the midwest they have winter they do not have winter in california so there's a big weather difference you would need a furnace in a illinois it's very cold in the winter so there's a difference and the mcdonald's brothers say no just follow our plan and they will not give him the, the the capital and this becomes an issue right off the bat that they will say no to everything Right. And can you just explain for the Australian listeners like what winter is? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm in California. I've never seen winter personally. But winter uh. <laughs> is the the chilly part of the year where this, this white this stuff called snow will fall down. And it's very cold and it's very chilly. And Chicago is one of the absolute coldest places in the U.S. where it gets down to like zero degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know. In Australia, that's like minus 800 Celsius or something. I'm not sure what that is. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Chicago is notoriously cold and you do not want to be outside about four months of the year. So it's, 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 there's, there's fundamental differences in putting a restaurant there versus California. Yeah. Is that? 100%. So you've never seen snow personally? Uh, I've seen a bit of it on top of a mountain once. Okay. (laughs) It was melting. Okay. I, I would think so. (laughs) Yeah. So this is uh, Ray Kroc is doing anything he can to make sure this restaurant is going to be a success in Illinois. And this is the uh, Coca-Cola sponsorship that you mentioned at the start. Uh, Yeah, there was this Coca-Cola wanted to put ads on the billboards. uh, And then that would be like a passive income stream for for McDonald's, Uh, which, yeah, looking back on now, seems like obviously that's a good idea. But the brothers do not like it. Yeah, 100% (laughs) for these brothers, the... They're just not invested in making McDonald's the, uh, you know, the multi multinational corporation that it is today. Uh, it really makes you wonder whose side they're on. <laughs> yeah, but but it is really interesting. Just I'll just I keep using that word, but this scene where Ray Kroc is going for it. We're going to do anything we can to make this a hit. We're going to get revenue, and the brothers are just not capitalists. They just will not do that. And this is the funniest quote in the movie where Max says he will not allow advertising on a McDonald's billboard, and Nick Offerman says. That sort of crass commercialism is not McDonald's. <laughs> it's very interesting that to look at that quote now. Yeah, yeah, that flew by me the first watch. <laughs> All 
All right, so the first McDonald's is a hit. Ray Kroc is able to replicate what the McDonald's brothers have done, even though he's not allowed advertising. He's not allowed to have a furnace. Sorry, we should we should just riff on that idea a bit more of the um, that crash crash commercialism is not. <laughs> I mean, what else is there to say? Like, this is unhealthy. McDonald's is not unhealthy. Well, no, I mean, like, look, crass commercialism is not McDonald's. McDonald's is in the business of making our children fat. I mean, like, you know, just, you know, blandly selling uh, Coca-Cola. Yeah. Not the idea, right? Well, it is now. See, I would argue it did not. The, the McDonald's brothers had wonderful fundamentals. They they would have been horrified to see what McDonald's is now. I say making our children fat. I mean, ob- obviously, they've stuck with, like, family values and made the whole family fat. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. But if you've seen, uh, like, portion sizes back in the 50s. People were not going to get fat on McDonald's back in the 50s. Like, like a small Coke was like a little thimble of Coke back. Like, they, mm. the portions were so much different. So they probably would not have gotten America fat just on what they were giving out at the time. Right, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so they just wanted to feed families. That was their whole thing. But, yeah, it's the yeah, yeah. McDonald's will go through some very fundamental changes through the movie. Okay, so, yeah, so Croc is his restaurant's a success, despite all the McDonald's brothers not letting him put his ideas in there. And now Croc is like, because his first one is a success, now he starts getting other people to buy in and open their own chain. And he's opening them so fast that the McDonald's brothers are starting to worry. They're like, how, if he starts starting eight new restaurants in a month, how the hell is he going to do quality control? Because that's their big issue. And surprisingly that will be a problem he is not able to do quality control yeah and he actually agrees with them like because uh, like they end up selling somebody puts lettuce on on the burger which is horrific right oh lettuce is terrible that's communist you ever bite into a burger and get lettuce ah the crunch it's awful <laughs> it's terrible get those vegetables off my burger yeah <laughs> variety i tell you is the enemy here Croc is trying. He really does try. That's the one thing I like to point out about this movie. He's really trying his best to be the McDonald's brothers. Is that he he yeah. berates this one guy for putting lettuce on the burger. And there's another franchisee who's selling fried chicken, biscuits, and corn. Disgusting. <laughs> I know. But then another guy puts in jukeboxes, so they summon teenagers, which is abhorrent. Not the teenagers. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a great Mitch Hedberg. Do you know who Mitch Hedberg is? Comedian. Uh, no, I think I've heard of him, but go for it. <laughs> he, he has this really famous joke that I have to quote here where he talks about when the, you see a McDonald's commercial, it says, it always says, prices and participation may vary, which means that the franchisee don't, don't, they don't actually don't have to follow McDonald's rules. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. yeah. And so Mitch was like, I want to open a McDonald's one day and I want to participate in nothing. I want to come to my, my, <laughs> my, they come to my McDonald's and they're like, do you have burgers? He's like, nope. He's like, all we got here are spaghetti and blankets. <laughs> so, that's what I think of when I see the McDonald's selling fried chicken and biscuits. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is the villain that Ray Kroc is rallying against here, I think. <laughs> Although I should point out that McDonald's does indeed sell fried chicken and biscuits now, so we've come full circle. That's cool. I had to introduce my wife to what biscuits are in the American sense the other day. Oh, she's never had one? Well, yeah, well, like in Australia, biscuits are like um, cookies, right? That's right. It's okay. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh,. Scones are what, we, what you would call biscuits. Well, a scone would be like a scone. They would have sugar in those, right? Uh, no, we are a little... Well, it depends, really. I think we're a little more um, conservative with our use of sugar in Australia. <laughs> How dare you say that? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You guys have like sugar in your bread, right? Oh, yeah. We get sugar in our bread. We get sugar in everything. You should look at our breakfast cereal for our kids, which is 100% sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The hell you say we have a sugar problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Ray Kroc is very concerned that he is not able to do quality control. And this is where he's going to do a heel turn, a little villain turn, where yes. he's going to decide, you know what? It's more important to sell franchises and start more McDonald's than it is to do quality control. Yeah, this is where he starts profiling people, right? He starts profiling people, but I would argue it's it's you could see that as two one of two ways. He's looking for specific people to buy a McDonald's, or you can look at it this other way, which I think is more interesting. He feels really bad when he sees people who are not succeeding in the world, and he wants to give them the, the access to the American dream. He's like you own a McDonald's, you'll be making money way more than you ever have before. And in his mind, he's doing a wonderful thing because he's giving people access to money and jobs and creating an economy. Yes, 100%. And creating an economy is obviously like what we are all here to do. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. That is important in the world. You do need that. Yeah. And obviously, maybe it goes a little far in America sometimes, but that would be his argument. Look at how many people I made money for, and I gave them jobs and careers, and they got to hire their own employees, and they moved up upward, up in social circles. So he's like, the quality control may have gone down, but look at what I provided to the world. Yeah. See, I, I, I think the heel turn comes a little later, right? Because at the moment, he's it's still like warm and fuzzy because he's going to like uh, uh, family-oriented uh, things. I think, or like he's going to veterans. He goes to like a veterans uh, restaurant. And he goes to like a he like employs a Jewish Bible salesman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's spreading it around. Yeah, so he's profiling like you know warm and fuzzy things. And that's his pitch. McDonald's is family. Yeah. I'm offering you opportunity. Put your arms around the American dream. Yeah. That's a really warm and fuzzy feeling, right? It is. It's very powerful, especially in that area of the country. You're in the Midwest. This is not the coastal cities where people are already rich. The Midwest is very humble, hardworking people in general, especially in the 50s. So mm. that's the thing. That's why this movie is so interesting. Is he doing a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on who you ask. Right. Yeah, definitely. So this is where he meets uh, Patrick Wilson and his wife. Yeah, this is where, okay, so Ray Kroc's going to become a big shot here. Right now, he's still a hardworking arm of the McDonald's Corporation. But this is where the brothers back in California start seeing warning signs where they learn that Ray Kroc is now calling his Des Plaines, Illinois, McDonald's. He calls that McDonald's number one. Mm. And the brothers are like, what are we then? If he's number one, what were we, we zero? So, and this will become a fundamental Again, to this day, the McDonald's Corporation does not acknowledge that San Bernardino location as part of their history. That's crazy. They, I think they have started to acknowledge that, like, maybe there was somebody before Ray Kroc. Maybe, yeah. Well, I mean, they know. In theory, yeah. like, maybe somebody gave him an idea. Yeah, somebody may have helped Ray Kroc a little bit. That's basically what their stance. So Ray Kroc is now handing out franchises and jobs left and right. He's basically a god, and a couple things are going to run into the problem here is that. The first one is that he's not making all that much money. Even though he's like a he's like a uh, rainmaker, he's dropping all these fortunes on everybody else by giving him franchises. He only has like a what a four or point four percent franchise fee. Yeah, it's crazy. So he gets crap. He gets crap, and he's mad. And this is where he also meets his future wife Joan. Yeah, I think there's a scene here where they um, 
where he pisses off his current wife by telling her that he's uh, not interested in going to like the country club anymore. Yeah, he's too big for it now. Yeah, or he's interested in like less rich people. No, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, he doesn't want to just pitch to the businessman. He wants to pitch this to the common man. There's a great scene here where he like steps up off the bed and like leaves his suit there. So it look it like filmographically again. It looks as though like he, there is just like nobody there in the suit. It's <laughs> good. I hadn't thought of that. I like that. Yeah, so Ray Kroc now considers himself a god basically. That he's like people are coming to me, they're kissing my ring, and he meets this woman in a nightclub. It's one of his franchisees. He's got a wife who plays the piano, uh played by Linda Cardellini. Her name is Joan. She eventually will become Joan Croc, who was just as famous as Ray Croc in his heyday. They they were known as a power couple, but this is the this is the upgrade wife, the second wife. Yeah, and this is a fifties nightclub, by the way, not like a doof doof kind of nightclub today. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah. There's far less disco and like uh, yeah <laughs> Madonna going. <laughs> there's over. no shiny lights, no drugs. <laughs> yes, it's a uh, restrained fifties <laughs> nightclub. Yes. Yeah. So Ray Kroc is just going around the Midwest now, handing out franchises, telling everybody that he started this and his number one restaurant is in Des Plaines and nobody knows any difference. So he's becoming very famous. And again, this is where Ray Kroc now gets in a fight with the McDonald's brothers where he starts demanding changes. And he's like, I want a higher franchise fee. And they're like, no, they're, they're like, you'll, you'll get 4.4% and like it. That was the contract. And he's like, no, I want to renegotiate. And uh, this is where Dick and Mac, the brothers, are like, uh-oh, we let our, our wolf into the hen house. We're in trouble. That guy's never going to stop, is he? Yeah. And it's it's exactly this scene that you realize that Ronald McDonald is not making an appearance in this film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe he'll be in the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> the founder, too. Electric Boogaloo. Again, yeah, Chekhov's clown. He will show up. Yes. <laughs> so here's the big problem, and this is where Ray is going to become Ray Kroc, is that the biggest problem McDonald's faces, they have one overwhelming expense in every restaurant. Rowan, what would be that expense? Ah, because they have to store all of this ice cream for the milkshakes. Yeah, therein, therein lies the problem. Every McDonald's uses fresh ice cream. It's one of their trademarks, these shakes. And it's so overwhelmingly expensive to have all this ice cream in your freezer all the time or in your refrigeration yeah. down there. So, And this is a... This is a problem. Even the McDonald brothers know this, right? They, they're aware of this issue. And the, uh, you know, the only other alternative is to sell chocolate milk instead of a thick shake. <laughs> yes. And we're not going to do that. We're not savages like Australia. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so McDonald's has this problem that milkshakes are synonymous with McDonald's, but oh, so much of your overhead is dedicated to keeping the ice cream frozen. And this is where Joan Crock, his future wife, says – Hey, you know, I'm kind of an entrepreneur. I've heard of these things called powdered milkshakes. Ah, yeah. And then uh, they participate in the whole thing. And I think the interesting thing here is uh, Ray Kroc started off as a milkshake salesman. So, like, him going along with uh, powdered milkshake is essentially the scene where, like, Darth Vader puts on the mask for the first time. <laughs> yeah, the, Ray is going to turn here. Yeah, he he loves this. Again, Ray is an entrepreneur. He's got dollar signs in his eyes. He's always about the bottom line. He loves this. We can fake milkshakes, and we don't have to pay refrigeration costs. So he calls up the McDonald's brothers. He's like, I got a great way to save us money. And what do they say? They're perfectly happy about this, right? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely not. But before we get into that, I think there's another interesting part of this scene where they're um, drinking the milkshake, right? And it's the whole thing where they're uh, 
uh, they've got like the straws and like, you know, they're drinking the milkshake together, uh, but it's him and like the guy's, the, his friend's wife. And the friend is also just like at the restaurant. <laughs> like at the point at which somebody is taking your wife on dates, like, why do you keep going along with them, man? Like, come on. Ray Kroc is stealing the guy's wife right in front of him. Yeah. And there's just like a whole lot of phallic symbols with like the spoon, the straw, etc., and the milkshake. It's like, come on, man. Like something's going on here. <laughs> this is when you know Ray Kroc has become Ray Kroc, when he can walk up to you, take your girlfriend right in front of you, and make you smile about yeah. it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so explain the powdered milkshake. Well, how exactly does that work? So for people who may haven't seen the movie. Yeah, so all you have to do is add water and then uh, just mix it, and it it, it, it uh, turns into a perfect-tasting uh, milkshake. Yeah, there's an emulsifier in there, and you just stir it up, and it's, like, indistinguishable from real ice cream. And Ray Kroc is he's giddy about this. <laughs> As you would be when a beautiful woman makes a milkshake in front of you. Exactly. That's the thing. She's suggestively drinking a milkshake. I mean, I'd, I would think that's a good idea, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, he calls the McDonald's <laughs> brothers. He's like, I got a great idea, fake milkshakes. And they're like, no. They're like, a milkshake has milk. There's no way you are ever going to sell that product in a store with our name on it. No, absolutely not. Hmm. And maybe he should have just, maybe he should have just, like, got their wives to make one for him in front of them. That would have worked. A lot of suggestive milkshake drinking maybe swayed them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here, my wife will be eating a carrot and drinking this milkshake suggestively. <laughs> and make sure it's vanilla just for the... Uh, never mind. I, I can also do banana-flavored milkshake. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't know if Ray Kroc was going to go that far for these pimping out the McDonald's brothers' wives to seduce their husbands. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the Joan Kroc has, has seduced Ray into having these milkshakes. And again, this is the... Point in the movie where Ray will start not asking for permission anymore. He's just going to go through with it. Yeah, 100%. And that's where he uh, starts seducing the wife as well. <laughs> yes, I think he's already doing that, to be honest. I mean, that's Michael Keaton. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. That's Michael Keaton. Yeah, he sets my heart aflutter just watching him. Yeah. Uh, would you like him to drink a milkshake in front of you? Yeah, <laughs> I should hope so. I actually have that <laughs> I play that scene on repeat buddy <laughs> God, slow motion he slows it down we watch it forward and backward on yeah, repeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Australian porn they watch the founder milkshake scene <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, so so Ray Kroc is about to stop asking for permission because he knows this powdered milkshake is going to be the wave of the future and this is where he gets the other this is where he's going to absolutely hamstring the McDonald's brothers where He's in the bank. I'm going to explain. I'm going to see if I can explain this correctly. He's in the bank arguing about his loan to a loan officer. The guy's like, you have no capital. And Ray Kroc's like, I need capital. Like, I need money to invest in more restaurants. And the guy's like, you don't have it. And this financier in the next booth over named Harry Sonneborn, who was a real guy, played by B.J. Novak in this movie, overhears him. And he says, you're Ray Kroc from McDonald's. And he's like, yeah. And, and the guy's like... How could you not be rich? McDonald's is the fastest move selling, you know, the biggest growing industry ever. How are you not rich? And Croc's like, because I signed a crappy contract. And the guy's like, well, let's go back to your office. I'll go through your ledgers and I'll tell you how to start making money. And this is where Croc is really going to, I guess we'd, we would say he becomes a monster at this point. Yeah. And this is where you can firmly also just shut the, the, the book on Ronald McDonald making an appearance in this <laughs> yeah. film. 
they, they had to make room for Harry Sonneborn. Yeah, Harry Sonneborn. I mean, he was a big deal. He was the first CEO of McDonald's. And if you know McDonald's history, he was like, he and Ray Kroc were like the number one and two guys. They were a big deal. But this is where we get the key to McDonald's. And I will let you explain this one, Rowan, because it's this is something I don't think a lot of people know about McDonald's. It's a trivia fact thrown in at the very end of the movie is that McDonald's is like the number two holding in real estate of any company in the United in the world. They own so much real estate, and that's why they're rich. So explain the scene where, where uh, Mr. Sonneborn explains to uh, Ray Kroc how he can get rich. Right. So Harry Sonneborn explains that the reason that McDonald's should be successful and should make a lot of money is not to do with the actual restaurants, the franchising. It is to do with owning the land underneath it. So if you set all of the uh, – if you – uh, distribute the franchises and only distribute them to the places where you own the land and you set the building codes for those lands uh, uh, or the regulations for those lands, uh, then you're guaranteed to make a lot more money than uh, if you instead just sell franchises. Yeah. If you own the land that your franchisee build on, you have them by the balls because hmm. they have to lease from you at your prices. You control all quality control. If they cross you once, you terminate their lease. So now he, yeah, and you also take their wife. Yeah, and you take their wife. Yeah, Ray's got like a hundred wives by the end of this movie. It's like Genghis Khan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so Ray Kroc effectively becomes the McDonald brothers. He gains all the power over hundreds of franchises. And again, the the McDonald brothers only have power over him. And so he's like, I have to answer to you, but all these other people have to answer to me, and he's going to grow so much bigger than them, and that's going to be the problem they run into. He's going to become a millionaire, mega millionaire overnight because he owns all this land. Yep. And it, it, I think it was – no, I think we already mentioned the mortgage, right? Yeah. I mean that's that's where the wife finds out about the mortgage, and that's why he, he they get divorced basically over that. They get divorced. Yeah. yeah. In the same scene where she finally gets on board with uh, – I know. Like all the – What a dick. She like finds – yeah, she, like, finds two franchisees, and then, like, he divorces her the same night. <laughs> He's like, Ray, I love this. We're going to be rich. He's like, yeah, I want to get a divorce now. <laughs> yeah. She should have just made a milkshake, like. <laughs> it was that easy, just the powdered milkshake and the, yeah. the spoon. Yeah. All right, I got a towel yeah. off here. All right, so, uh, <laughs> but there's one great quote here. There's a, lot, a couple great quotes in this movie, and this is one where B.J. Novak explains to Ray Kroc. He's like, you don't seem to realize what business you're in, Mr. Kroc. You're not in the restaurant business. You're in the real estate business. And that's the line that really opens his eyes. And it's, from here on out, it's just Ray Kroc dominates the world. Nobody can stop him. Yeah, that's the moment. Uh, and then he renames it the McDonald's Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, yeah. Which had previously not existed. Yeah, Ray Kroc now starts buying all the land out from every McDonald's underneath them. And he forms a second company called the Franchise Realty Corporation. And the McDonald brothers are a little troubled. They're like, what's this? He's like, ah, don't worry about it. This is nothing. <laughs> yeah. And then it becomes the McDonald Corporation, and they have a little more of a problem with that because that's their name. Yeah. And uh, this is the moment where um, Chekhov's diabetes finally fires. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, this is the, the big showdown where Ray Kroc is now bigger than the McDonald's brothers, and they're furious. They're like, what are you doing? You're buying land. You're trying to force us out. And he's like, basically, yeah, stop me. And they have the big argument. How does this go? This is a uh, – it's the debate. Who really understands what McDonald's is? Is it the stand in San Bernardino or is it his empire he's creating in the Midwest? Which one is McDonald's? Yeah, and I think this is the moment where he finally uh, just kills uh, – what's the guy's name? Mac McDonald. 
uh, where he, no Dick. Uh, it's Mac. Yeah. This is a scene where he finally kills. I don't know Dick because he like he he hits Mac with the diabetes, but then he hits Dick with the fact that the speedy system was never actually very important. Yes, that was it. Yeah, so. Ray Kroc basically tells them to go fuck themselves, and they're like, no, you can't do this. We have a contract. And he's like, you know what? Sue me. He, cause he's like, you can sue me. That's fine. You'll probably win. But guess what? I can bury you in court costs. I have hundreds of restaurants around the world. I make millions of dollars a year. Try it. Just, I dare you. And they realize they're screwed. And so Mac McDonald's has his diabetic attack, and Dick McDonald's realizes he doesn't even own his own name anymore. Right. Yeah. Insane. And on top of that, Ray Kroc now takes full credit for the golden arches and says they were his idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that is the, the the point in which he transcends uh, into godhood and has like his own religious symbols. <laughs> yes, it becomes a cult movie. The last twenty minutes. <laughs> but yeah, Ray Kroc basically tells his lawyers, he's like, make these yokels, the McDonald brothers, go away. He's like, whatever you have to do, whatever you have to pay them, make them go away. And we get a very heated call here, and I really I, – I, I wrote down the dialogue in this scene because i got to talk about it where, where the McDonald brothers are like, McDonald's is about quality. It's about quality control, putting out a good, honest product at a low price. And Ray's like, no, it's like – it's about crushing your enemies. And this is where they get the fundamental difference in how people view, uh, view uh, business where Ray's like – Business is war. You crush your enemies. I'll do anything. He's like, if one of my competitors came up to be drowning, I'd put a hose in his mouth personally and drown him more. And that's the kind of spirit you need to make it in this world. And he tells the McDonald's brothers, can you say the same about yourself? Would you do that? And they're like, honestly, no, we would not do that. Yeah. And at that point, you're like, you know, what are you really fighting for here? You know, if you if you can't just do a you know an honest day's work as a businessman, like, why are you even like in this yeah, and Ray, Ray even he taunts them. He calls them yokels, hillbillies, and he says, come after me, sue me. He's like, I'm national. You're fucking local. Good luck. Mm. Yeah, that was a great yeah. line. So Ray Kroc is a killer, and he's going to take over their business. And at this point, the McDonald's brothers are forgotten. Their business is out of their hands. They own nothing. And from here, it's a, uh, what, Mac has his little diabetic attack. He ends up in the hospital. Yeah. Oh, I thought this comes... We're at the end of the movie now. Okay, We've already skipped through yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, I thought that bit happened before the, the legal battle, right? It's it's long. It's like you said, Chekhov's diabetes. It's a very gradual diabetic attack. Where right. They <laughs> warn it's going to happen 15 times before, oh, hey, look, he had a diabetic attack. Yeah. <laughs> so the McDonald's brothers are now in the hospital, and one of the brothers is recovering, and he just can't handle the stress. They're just simple businessmen, and they're like, you know, Ray Kroc is never going to go away, we'll never beat him, we'll never be rid of him, and they're like, let's just make it go away, and Ray Kroc comes in, and he gives them a blank check. Yeah, he's like, basically, fill in any amount of money you want, and we'll make this end. We'll make this go away. And they originally tell him no? They say no at first, but eventually they realize it's futile. This is going to happen at some point, they might as well get as much money as they can and just wash their hands of it. Right, yeah. And then they agree to the uh, 1% annual royalty. Yeah, this is important. This is the uh, we got to make sure we cover this correctly here. So, yeah. okay. <laughs> the McDonald's brothers agree that they want 2.7 million to basically sign over McDonald's to Ray Kroc and say it's his. He has all naming rights and all. He is the founder of McDonald's now. 2.7 means they each will get a million dollars after taxes. And they yep. get to keep the San Bernardino store. They want their original store because they want to give it to their employees, all the hard-working employees. And here is the contentious part, and this is 
the McDonald's history is very murky over how how true this is. That the brothers say, we want 1% of all profits in perpetuity. Until the day we die, we always get 1% of future profits. And Ray Kroc blows a gasket. There's no way he's going to give them that. Yeah. And then they uh, agree to a handshake deal. Which, like, 1% annual royalty of McDonald's would be a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they talk about that in the epilogue. I'll get to that at the end of the podcast. How much money that would have been worth. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all they want is 1%, and Kroc says no, and they drop all these contracts, and the brothers think they're going to get everything. And at the last minute, Ray Kroc's lawyers say, we'll agree to this. You can have the San Bernardino store. You get your $1 million each. We can't give you the 1%. I mean, we can, but it'll be under the table. It won't be in the contract. It'll be a handshake. Just know you're going to get this. We'll promise it. We just can't write it down in the contract. Yeah. Which sounds totally reasonable. Like, I would buy that. That, that. And that's the thing. The brothers claim this happened. The McDonald's Corporation claims this didn't happen. It's a he said, she said, even to this day. Yeah. 100%. And probably one we'll never get to the bottom of. And the brothers know there's no way he's going to honor that 1% handshake. But Michael Keaton and Ray Kroc is so charming. He's like, sure, just trust me. You'll get your royalties. You know, it's it's uh, you'll get everything you, you expect. And the brothers are like, there's no way we're going to get that. And here's a spoiler. They don't. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a real shock when the guy that's been screwing you over for the past, you know, seven months is, uh, suddenly turns out to be, you know, not a good guy. I know. How dare you screw us again? <laughs> yeah. Fool me once. Fool me once. Shame on, shame on uh, me. Fool me twice. Uh... Fool me 12 times. Shame on us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ray Kroc is now, in essence, McDonald's. It all comes and goes with him. It all starts with him. He's been going around telling people he founded this for years. Meanwhile, these poor brothers have been pushed out. And this is where we get the really, I would say, heartbreaking scene, but also very murky black and white scene where Dick McDonald meets Ray Kroc in the bathroom at the end to discuss what happened. So this is a scene where Ray explains to Dick that actually the real value of McDonald's has nothing to do with the speedy system that he created from his genius autistic mind. Uh, and instead has everything to do with uh, the name McDonald's itself uh, because it's far better than the, the what is it, the, the Czech? His, his name, his name, Kroc. Yeah, my name is Slavic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Slavic. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, Ray Kroc meets Dick McDonald's and all this is over now. The McDonald's brothers have been stripped of their, their chain with their name on it. And Dick's like, can you just tell me one question, Mr. Kroc? Why? Why? Why didn't you just come in and steal our business? Like, you came in, you saw all our secrets. You could have stolen that entire system. It would have been so less painful. Why did you have to do it this way? And like Rowan said, Ray Kroc says, because it wasn't the system, it's the name. I just wanted your name. McDonald's, it means anything. Like, it's it's all American. It has open-ended. Like, my name, Kroc. Who would eat at a place called Crocs? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> That'll never take off. <laughs> Crocs is a business model. <laughs> and yeah, Dick McDonald, his face just falls. He realizes that's all Ray Kroc wanted all along. They could have just given him the name and it would have been so much easier. And But here's the quote. This I, I find this, this is the quote that made me think about this movie for weeks afterwards where, where uh, Ray Kroc says, you know, a guy named McDonald, he's never going to get pushed around in life with that name. And Dick McDonald's like, that's clearly not the case. And Ray says, <laughs> Let's think about this for a second. You're telling me you don't have a check for $1.35 million in your pocket? 
<laughs> Which is really interesting because I have heard interviews with these brothers, the Dick and Mac, their kids, and their kids will say, our parents were perfectly happy with that deal. They got $1.35 million in the 50s. That's a lot of money. So like a lot, their, their kids will even say, they were perfectly happy with this deal. They didn't need all this money. They got a lot of money. They retired happily. They got exactly what they wanted out of McDonald's. It sucks that they didn't get the, you know, the... the uh, sense of pride and the like the credit for it but they had very happy lives after this and that's what i think makes this interesting where ray Kroc makes the point you guys made out pretty well so i wouldn't complain and when did the brothers start doing like press about it they never did oh okay i thought there was an interview no I, I believe that was part of the deal they weren't allowed to talk about it and it wasn't until uh, okay. recently like in the last 10 15 years that their kids have started talking about it that's why this is fairly recent knowledge of this stuff Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so what do you think? Do you like what do you think of that viewing? That maybe the brothers actually did pretty well. This is the best optimal future they could have had anyway. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, like they probably weren't going to make a million dollars off the you know the San Bernardino stand, uh, especially after it went downhill uh, in San Bernardino. Uh, yeah, probably the best the best outcome for them for them all. Uh, maybe with you know a few less diabetic shocks. <laughs> But that's the argument for a hit piece on Ray Kroc. They actually make a good point at the end that the brothers really didn't want what Ray Kroc had. Like he did something completely different and they they didn't want it anyway. So they actually made out pretty well. And that's why I found myself thinking about this movie afterwards. Like that's a very interesting point that maybe there wasn't really a bad guy here. Maybe this was just inevitable that they were not built for that time. I mean, yeah, I think maybe they probably would have liked to have their own like surname on their restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm leaving out the end part where Ray Kroc absolutely buries them now, though. Yeah. <laughs> now, this part is true, and this is, again, there's shades of gray in this movie, but at the very end, Ray Kroc is just an absolute dick, which I guess hammers the nail home. This is a hit piece where <laughs> Ray Kroc is furious that he did not get that San Bernardino store, the original. He wants that. And in the movie, I was going to say, in the movie, they say in the contract that he's not going to get the store. If you go to the San Bernardino Museum, they say Ray Kroc didn't know he wasn't going to get that store, that it was a surprise to him, and that's why he was furious. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and then, then that's why he like takes the name off the store. Yeah, okay, this is the, the final humiliation of the McDonald's brothers, that Ray Kroc makes them take their name off the store. They're forced to call it Big M instead of McDonald's. And then in one of the biggest dick power moves of all time, he opens a McDonald's right across the street and drives them out of business. I, <laughs> I mean, that you got to respect that power move. That's a power move. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a, it's a step below uh, taking the guy's wives. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. The, in, the, in the epilogue, we find out he also took their wives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the wives actually worked at the restaurant yeah, as well. Yeah, they loved it. They love him. <laughs> Crazy, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ray Kroc was a skilled lover. We learned that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They they actually used to go out and like make milkshakes in front of the the new store just to taunt the, the their ex husbands. <laughs> the the final humiliation, the phallic milkshakes from their own wives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Ray Kroc has destroyed the McDonald's brothers. They are dead. He has killed. I mean, they are they're they're they have their million dollars, but their stand is gone. He's run them out of business. And the movie ends with him in the 1970s. He's now much older, and he's prepared to give a speech. 
and he's going to go talk in front of Governor Reagan, who's going to become the president one day. These are the circles Ray Kroc will now run in. And he's now, we find out he's making $700 million a year. So that $1 million he gave to the McDonald's brothers was a pittance. That's a lot of money, $700 million. And he's married to Joan now? Yes, married to Joan. It's interesting, yeah, like uh, everything at this point. Uh, I think even the speech that he gives right now, or is like preparing to give in front of Governor Reagan, is like the speech that is on the record at the start of the film. Yes, it's the same speech that persistence is important. Not genius or talent, just persistence. Yeah, so he's stolen the company, he's stolen the wife, and he's stolen the uh, speech. Yes. And I think that is, yeah, it is like... It is the exact opposite of like a, a made-for-TV movie where uh, the 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 real the, the real McDonald's is the enemies that we made along the way. I think. Yeah, it's a really interesting turn of events here. Ray Kroc has now conquered the world, and he is giving a speech to the governor, makes seven hundred million dollars a year, and now he is passing himself off as a self-made millionaire that he came up with this company, he designed the arches, and he is again to this day this is the. This is the company line, what McDonald's will tell you, that Ray Kroc did it all by himself. And it's very interesting to see how this movie undercuts that somewhat. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's done really well, I think. And now we get the epilogue. And this, this would be known as the stomach punch. Yeah, this is where they reveal that yeah, the McDonald's brothers never made their, uh, were paid their royalties. And it would be paid about $100 million a year. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Okay, here's the stats at the end of the movie that... Everybody in this movie got rich in real life except the two brothers. McDonald's is now in over 100 countries. When Ray Kroc died, his wife had $1.5 billion in assets and money, and she donated almost all of it to charity. Yeah, Joan Kroc was actually, like, she's very well-respected and highly regarded. And you could make the argument, like, so much of that money at the end of her life went to, you know, charitable, you know, foundations and stuff. Like, was what Ray Kroc did all that bad because it ended up all going to charity? And that's why I think it's really ethically uh, murky. Hmm. I don't know if it's that, like, murky. I think, like, the what McDonald's has turned out to be is is pretty, pretty dystopian. <laughs> yeah, the product sucks. Yeah. I hate McDonald's now, but... All that money that they made all ended up going to like NPR, National Public Radio, and Salvation Army. And Joan Kroc, from every account I've ever read, was like a saint. So it, it's really interesting. Like the McDonald's brothers would not have donated $1.5 billion to National Public Radio. Mm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and here's the other things that come up is that McDonald's is now one of the, the biggest real estate holders in the world. Every day they feed 1% of the world's population, which is astounding. That is, yeah, astounding. <laughs> and at the end of the movie they said, if the royalty, if the, brother, if the brothers had received their royalties, today it would be worth $100 million each per year. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> so, that is what the McDonald brothers and their families never got. And I've read that even though the brothers were perfectly happy with their deal, a lot of their relatives and sons and children and stuff are like, it would have been nice if we'd had a little bit of that cut, knowing that our parents founded McDonald's and none of us had any anywhere near that kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the movie ends with a little disclaimer that McDonald's eventually put real ice cream back in their milkshake. So good for McDonald's. Yeah. You can tell that that's like where the lawsuits are coming from. <laughs> yes, Chekhov's milkshake right there. Yeah, Chekhov's milkshake, yeah. <laughs> so that is the story of the founder, one of the most interesting 
thought-provoking, discussion-provoking movies I've seen in a long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, after watching this film, I, I had to, like, try and just rack my brains for films that might be like it. Uh, and I didn't find a single one. I, I went and rewatched The Social Network, like the Mark Zuckerberg film. It doesn't hold a candle to it. The Wolf of Wall Street, I just assumed might be similar. Uh, but I hadn't seen it yet. Uh, and it is not. And I think that, like, yeah, this, the whole... I think the difference there in both of those is that in the social network, they don't really make a clear point about like who is right and who is wrong, even though it is ostensibly the same story wherein like somebody is perhaps stealing from two brothers. Uh, and then like the Wolf of Wall Street is just a very long film that doesn't really make a very tight point. Uh, and it's not as nearly as poetic, I think, as, as the founder. And it's just like, this is probably the only film I can think of that, that is both, uh, you know, poetic and symmetrical in a certain sense in that, like, you have all this stuff that is set up at the start and then, like, unraveled by the end of the film. Uh, and also just really tight and put into one single package that you can watch in about an hour and a half. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to say is that I know, again, this movie was designed to be a hit piece on McDonald's. It's supposed to take down the legacy of mm. Ray Kroc. But you have a lead actor who's so charismatic, it almost works against it in a way because you kind of root for Michael Keaton. So it's it's... Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I I love introducing movies like this to people just because it it generates discussion. And again, even if you hate McDonald's, you don't want anything to do with like this crappy American corporation that took over everything and made everybody fat. It has such an interesting, murky history. And again, almost everything in this movie is true, as far as I know. From even before I saw this movie, I kind of knew this this story. Yeah, I think I I kind of knew this story, but uh, I think I read it when I was ten years old and read it on Wikipedia. Uh, so it didn't really like come to life in the same dramatic sense, but I think also having, um, uh, having Ray Kroc played by Michael Keaton is just such a, it's a really good masterstroke. I think in terms of you don't sort of realize that this charismatic man is the bad guy until about halfway through. But again, he may not even be the bad guy until halfway through. Yeah. Or you don't even consider that he might be a murky character until like he starts doing bad things. And again, what's, what causes him to cross the line into doing bad things? Is it he just doesn't like being controlled, or is he trying to make all these people's lives better, all these franchisees? It's Again, it just really... That's why I think about this movie. Yeah, I think he just has a Pavlovian response to seeing a milkshake made. <laughs> it's just It all comes back to that phallic milkshake scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think that was actually one of the scenes where you like... The, the first time he meets the, the wife, uh, I think, is probably the... It's a, a weird scene where you like almost don't think anything bad is going to happen. Like, they they she gets introduced as the guy's wife, and you think, oh, classic comedy, uh, you know, guy falls for girl, but she's taken. End of story. Uh, and then it's like, oh, actually no, this is going to get into really murky territory, and uh, maybe he's not the good guy. Maybe Joan Crock was just that charming. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But yeah. Again, just a. It's one of, this is one of those movies, again, it's only three years old. It really breaks my rules on staff picks. But I just think everyone should know about this movie because it generates so much discussion. And it's just, it's so relevant because, like, a lot of the stuff in this movie affects how commerce and business works today, especially in America. I mean, I'm assuming everywhere. But it's like, this movie is very relevant to how businesses work. It's just, it's, I, I can't, like you said, I can't think of another movie that compares to it. Yeah, it's, it's un uncomparable and i should point out in the end credits they have lots of uh, interviews of the actual ray Kroc sitting there saying i just like the name mcdonald's i just came up with that one day in my head and i like the sound of it <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Now, before we sign off, so crazy. before we sign off, have you seen any uh, responses from McDonald's to this movie? I haven't really looked. You know, McDonald's has to hate this movie. Have you seen them put out an official response or anything to it? No, I can't. I can't. I, can't, I haven't seen anything. Um, surely they would hate it, though. But I think they try to avoid. Surely they try to avoid lawsuits on this kind of thing. Probably, yeah, because well, then you wonder how the movie even got made because they were dancing the line of getting sued just by making this movie to start with. Yeah, sure, but then I think it would become like uh, it would it would just be like a case of uh, making it more famous just because it's you know it it would make the screenplay probably a lot more um, famous if they did try to sue it out of existence. That's true. It makes it notorious. You make them a martyr. Yeah, big time. Well, I got to go out to that McDonald's museum, the one in San Bernardino. I haven't been out there since the movie came out. Or no, no, I have. But I, I want to go talk to the owner now because I'm curious. He would, I'm sure he would give me all the details. He's like, I want to like, tell me what McDonald's thinks of this movie. And I bet he could pull me into a back room and he'll tell me the whole story off the record. <laughs> That'd be great. Take some pictures. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I just want to, uh, anything else you want to add before we sign off here about this movie? I know, again, you are a troublemaking journalists so this movie must be near and dear to your heart uh, what what in specific what specifically is the, makes it appeal to you the most uh it's got to be just the, the the way that the story kind of unravels and like all of the chekhov's different uh things um just the way that it is it is such a poetic telling of the story and that things unravel uh and everything is set up by the end of act one so that like all of the people that are uh, that he screws over in the best place in their life at the end of Act 1, uh, and by the end of Act 3 has managed to ruthlessly destroy everyone that uh, has ever helped him in any way. <laughs> you won't get this reference, but it's an SNL reference, but he is the Abraham Parnassus of his time. He is... Crush your enemies! <laughs> Grind their bones into dirt! Make them regret they were ever born! But it's interesting because so much of the McDonald's story is based around the self-made man, this heroic figure, Ray Kroc. And it's funny when you watch The Founder that the movie is presented as a Greek tragedy. It's not quite a heroic rising of the phoenix. It's more the Icarus of the uh, the McDonald's brothers crashing back down to earth after their success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've compared McDonald's to Greek mythology now. Yeah, that's good. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, i think that's it again yeah i just want to thank you for stopping by and talking about this movie and uh it's always fun to have international people on because it's always because you guys have a different perspective like i i did not know the thing about biscuits you did you've never seen those oh uh, yeah well I've, i made them last week for i had a bit of biscuits and gravy so you're basically an american southerner now yeah y'all sure know about that and again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Until next time, make sure you find a small family-run business and take it over and crush them into the ground. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. You just ate. You didn't finish. Let's go to McDonald's instead of finishing here. He's his friend, sir. It's okay. It's okay, McDonald's. What do you think they do there? They don't drink milkshakes, I assure you.